Tune in weekly and listen to the Collateral Damage Podcast, where Michael Wilson and Maureen Kavanaugh host a variety of special guests to discuss topics and available services that will help you learn about the impact that substance use has on our lives, our families, and on our communities nationwide. Episodes and listening information can be found at www.cdpodcast.com. You can also search for Collateral Damage Podcast on your favorite listening platforms or watch previous and future episodes on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Collateral Damage. I am Mike Wilson. And I am Maureen Kavanaugh from my home. Yes, you are. Yes, yes. you are. We got a little insight into, uh, into your home instead of your office. Yep. And uh, I'm also in my home in my hoodie. Uh, you should introduce Caesar. Dressed. What's that? You should introduce Caesar. Caesar, right here <laughs> is uh, my bearded dragon. He's joining us today as a special guest. We'll interview him later in the show. See if he has anything to add, he's just listening intently in the background right now. He li- really looks like he is. <laughs> and listen, I do a lot of my work for, for Bay State Recovery Services here in this office. And this poor guy, I mean, you think you've got it bad. He has to sit and listen to all of it. Um, oh, and he can't even add his two cents. He's just back there shaking his head. You know, it's, it's tough. So. It's tough. But uh, so we are, we are coming uh, to you from our homes, uh, quarantined, right? You're quarantined? Social, with social distancing. Well, so now they're calling it physical distancing, right? Because oh, social distancing it? implies oh, yeah. that you're supposed to stay away from people. And it's not that. You're supposed no, to stay away well, from they, physically. Right, because we've, they called it social distancing and everybody started flipping out because they weren't talking to anybody and now right. they're calling it physical distancing. Yeah, so physical yeah. distancing. We're physically distancing ourselves from people. And I got to tell you, you know, for me personally, this is hard. Um, I have my mom living with me. She's, uh, she's 70 and she has COPD, recently diagnosed COPD. So she's a, one of those high risk individuals. So I have to take extra precaution. And, um, you know, it's, it's limiting, right? I think if I was just a 40 year old guy living at home with Caesar, uh, I would, I wouldn't have to take as many precautions, but I, I do. Be and, careful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you do anything for Easter yesterday? Um, if by do anything, do you mean, did I get up? Yes. No, I mean, was there, it <laughs> no. was like a normal, it wasn't like a normal Easter. No, not here either. Well, how can I mean, you have a normal Easter unless you uh, happen to live with the family that you right. want to spend time with? Because otherwise it's an unnecessary risk, you know, to bring all these people together and share a holiday and enjoy time together and cook meals. So, I mean, I don't, I have a special diet, so I didn't even eat Easter dinner, but my mom made one for herself and we said hi and said happy Easter. <laughs> It's and so she weird, did like isn't a, it? It's um, like even if you didn't care all that much about Easter or whatever holiday Passover that you normally celebrate, it felt weird not to, I don't know. It, it did. Just it felt whole, like a Sunday. Yeah, it felt like the whole thing felt weird. I um, We cooked and my daughter came over, but um, because she's, I've been around her a lot anyhow, so we figured what's one more to do. But um, I delivered to my other two kids dinner. Yeah. And from the, I didn't even get out of the car. Right. And we just handed it to them out the window. Yep. It's Put just, on a tray. I don't know. Hand it yeah. out so you don't touch anybody. It's so weird. <laughs> it is. Well, my mean, youngest, is... my youngest son is actually working in the COVID unit in at Mass General. So. Oh wow. Yeah, he's like a little ticking time bomb now. Yeah, he's, <laughs> but he's worried right now. Yeah, he's afraid to go near me. So. I mean, this is unprecedented. You know, we got no. Or so he told me. <laughs> <laughs> 
we have no real experience this generation or any you know of the previous generations anyone that's alive uh, right. i would say at this point i'm sure there's a couple people that were alive back in the you know early 1900s with the flu lockdown but you know nobody alive right now has experienced this and knows how to respond to it and you know certainly not those that were you know prior to covid-19 were actively facing a loved one's addiction you know cuz that hasn't changed anything i mean if nothing else the social distancing physical distancing isolation uh you know the added stress and anxiety of what the world is going through right now is it, it's probably creating or exacerbating previous uh, uh, addiction issues, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I know I'm hearing from a lot of parents, and they don't know what to do. So they want to enforce their boundaries and their rules. But that means, you know, maybe asking their son or daughter to leave, and they're afraid to do that. It's not it's like against the law right now, <laughs> to, right, to right. go out and just be out there, right? So we you're they're afraid to do that. And they're I don't know. It's very scary. It really is very scary. And I know in, in Massachusetts, at least, there's a real problem as far as um, the sober houses trying to keep the lights on in some cases. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. we've been doing lots of things to get them to um, apply for assistance. And thankfully, people aren't getting it. I haven't seen anybody get evicted, but we've had a lot of um, a lot of pleas for help because, mm -hmm. you know, people can't pay their rent. And a lot of the sober, there's a lot of sober houses that were doing really well for a long time and right. they can probably, they'll be fine. But there's also a lot of sober houses that are renting and um, they've got to pay their rent too. And, you know, mm -hmm. the electricity. So when you have a working house full of a bunch of guys or girls that can, that are no longer working and unemployment hasn't come in yet, Mm -hmm. they're in trouble too. So it, this is hard in, for so many reasons. Every time I go to complain myself, I look around and I'm like, well, you know what? I really don't have anything to complain about. I can right. sit on the couch and read a book or watch Complaining Netflix. from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, there's no coffee, telethon for me. Yeah, yeah. Watching <laughs> Netflix. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it does. It affects everybody. And I think that, you know, we're, we're still, if I'm not mistaken, you know, I don't know when you're listening to this, but right now, this week, the you know April 10th to the April 20th, that chunk of time they're saying is supposed to be you know, the worst. I mean, projection-wise, mm -hmm. uh, where the most cases are brought up, uh, recognized. I mean, America's already you know got more cases than anyone else in the in the in the world. Yeah. Um, and so this this 10-day period they say is supposed to be you know the worst of it. And and governors and you know everybody are looking at extended lockdowns. Uh, yep. Schools are closing uh, for the year. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of young adults and kids who are really confused about what's going to happen. I mean, we're looking at this and talking about it as adults and, you know, people who are working and what they're going to do and unemployment and all that other stuff. Right. And then you've got this kind of forgotten group, these uh, young adults, the 18 to 22, 24, 25 year olds who were graduating, going to college, in college and were had a trajectory you know, whatever it might be to graduate, to get a degree, to get a job, to move on. These are people building a life. Yeah. Um, and their Can you lives. Imagine? And, and the economy so, was so strong and everybody was thinking about what their job would be. And mm -hmm. now everything is stopped. Right. So I mean, I'm dealing personally with a lot of parents who have young adults at home that, you know, they were in a launching position. I don't know if they were actually launching, but they were in a launching position, uh, preparing to launch into whatever their life was going to be. And, 
you know, the hope within the family system was that that launch would get them out of addiction, right? You know, that part of it would be getting treatment and then launching into some sort of a career or some sort of path that would give them, you know, a better trajectory. And that just doesn't exist right now. So there's right. a lot of holding pattern. Everything um, is very uncertain. Yeah. And, and that whole feeling of the world turning upside down is not good for recovery. Well, not if you have a, a, a life issue like addiction, not if you have right. a life problem where you don't know how to cope already. And then, you know, the world is starting to deteriorate around you and you're, you know, you're not able to cope with normal everyday stuff during a, an up economy. Um, you know, you're definitely not going to be able to, to, to cope as things are falling apart. So you're going to lean on what, what you've been leaning on even more so. Have you, um, have you participated or watched any of these online meetings? I did participate in one. Um, and when I say participated, I sat in and mm -hmm. watched uh, because we had to um, sample some of them for the guys at the house because our sober house, you know, obviously the guys can't leave the house and we need them to have access to meetings. So I sat in and sampled one. Um, and it was, uh, it was being held by a program down in Vermont and there must've been 150 people on it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting and it was just like any other meeting, you know, there were some people holding it hostage. There were some people really wanting help. And there were some people, uh, they were just confused about how to use their mic and camera. It was, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this I, is, at least there's, but at least there's that, right. There's been a lot of them. I know Heron the Heron Foundation has had a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been posting them whenever I could to try to get the word out. I think mm -hmm. everybody pretty much knows now how to use Zoom and um, that there's meetings out there. And Magnolia has been having family meetings as well. Right. And I, I know a bunch of other places have too, but it's still, you know, it's still well, hard. I mean, this, is, this may be leading us to connect with more people. You know, I mean, we had all these isolated little groups, you know, across the country where mm -hmm. they were kind of culty, you know, it was, well, this, this group does it this way. And that group does it this way. I mean, this, this creates a new opportunity for all those groups to mix and mingle and for more people to talk. And, you know, I think that for those that might've been initially afraid to go to a meeting, right. Going to a meeting is a big deal. If right. you've never been to one or going to a meeting is a big deal. If you don't want to leave your house because you don't like yourself, um, right. you don't want to see people, but you know, now this is forcing um, a platform where people can participate with a hoodie on in, right. their, in their room. They can turn off the camera. They can just listen. Nobody has to see them and they can still get the message. So, I mean, right. as uncomfortable as the situation is, it is definitely opening up uh, room for people to engage in services that they might not otherwise engage in. Yeah, so that's the upside, right? Definitely. They call me Mr. Silver Lining. I know. That's what I call you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend hates it, by the way. So, so do my kids. But, but it's uh, good. you have to think like that. Well, that's how I get through every day with a smile, even when things right. are falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. So, so parenting during this must be tough. I mean, forget about just like your average parents dealing with, you know, young children being stuck in the house and not being able to like drop them off at school or daycare and getting a moment for yourself but like parenting an addicted loved one right because it's all those boundaries and rules that you know will help them mm -hmm. if they're going to be in your house 
right? And um, even when they're not in your house, right? That whole get a job, go to meetings, mm-hmm. pay your pay your sober living. You have to be responsible. You right. can't even say those things anymore because this has all gone out the window. So what? So what they've all lost is the or else, right? Oh yeah. That's well, that's the, the part that's part, gone. What are you gonna you do? St- you can still make good recommendations. You need to do this. You need to do that. But right. you know, when I do interventions, I have to tell people, you know, tell families that like the answer we have to have is to the question, well, what if I don't? Right. I mean, that's like when you count to three with your kids when they're young and it's like, don't make me get to three. And, and I mean, in the back of your mind, it's like, well, I don't have anything after three. So please don't let me get to three. And, you know, that's really what, that's what parents are losing is right. whatever comes after three, because it no longer exists. Right. And so here you've got, you know, people who up until the COVID experience had, you know, a, another tool in the toolbox, which was to, to step in and, and, and change the household or the family dynamic and say, you know, we're not going to participate in this anymore. And if you're going to continue this way, then we can't have you do it in our home. That's gone right now. Right. Um, you know, and so I think it's going to push people to, to look at alternatives, um, you know, to try to find a way to coexist with an active addict or alcoholic, which is hard. And that sounds great, right? Unless you don't know how to do it, because we have a lot of families that haven't done that work yet. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're all pushed together in, in the same house. Right. Well, that's, that's the, that's the trick is that, you know, I know you do it. I do it. A lot of family work, uh, which is getting people um, used to communicating in a different way, uh, helping them understand addiction, recovery, their role in it, uh, what their loved one needs to do, what they need to do, what they can do, what they can't do. I mean, these are all things that, you know, they take time. Right. You get stuck in a certain way of doing things for so many years, and then all of a sudden you have to face addiction in your home. Uh, Your loved one no longer responds to reason. Your words don't hold any weight. Uh, they don't listen to common sense. Uh, you can't have a rational conversation with them. I mean, that's that's a crazy place to live without right. the right support or guidance or without changing part of yourself and learning how to approach it differently. That, that can be pretty insane, especially if you don't have a guide. Right. And I feel impossible. And then, you know, people with mental health issues too. I think uh-huh. that a lot of our kids have either developed or had an underlying mental health issue before the drugs. And mm-hmm. those things are going untreated too, because they can't get in to see the doctor. They can't get in to see the psychiatrist. And they sometimes can't get in to see the therapist unless the therapist is doing um, telephone or Zoom meetings. Right. So this is, uh, this is tough. And there, you know, I don't know what the answers are because like you said, we've never gone through this before. I mean- Well, it's adjusting. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think- Think about it like this. There was, um, I'm sure you've used Uber before. Sure. Okay. Um, have you used a taxi before? From New York. Do you still use taxis? I never use a taxi. <laughs> How come? Because I could just pick up the, the app and order because a Lyft. Uber, Uber adapted yeah. to a changing landscape. Right. Taxis did not. Okay. So Ubers um, utilized a tool that we all have, a convenient tool, and decided that it would be easier to give people that access and to do ride sharing than taxis. It's more mm-hmm. cost effective. It creates jobs. There was a, they, they adapted. The, taxis com- the taxi companies had the opportunity to do something similar with apps, and they just never, they never changed. 
right? Mm-hmm. So that you had this old, this old model, which was convenient at the time, but didn't keep up with the times, right? And so they didn't change, which means that they got really pushed out by Uber and they got really upset when Uber came in. They like tried to fight them and sue them and, you know, corner them in certain cities. Oh, you can't use the airport. You can't do this. They were just trying to hold on to their market share. Um, And it's because they did not adapt that they are now almost obsolete. Right? Like who says I'm going to get a taxi? No, it's true. It's just they had time to do that. You but know what I mean? And, and no, and they didn't do it. But I mean, even Uber had time. The taxi companies had time. Whether they did it or not is one thing. But here we all are. This was like, here we are all together in the same house, adapt right now. Well, there's been time. <laughs> there's There's been time for years. And I think people have been coming up with alternative ways to address something, but they're just not being heard because we didn't have to change. Now we're yeah, being forced yeah. to accept alternatives. Yeah, I see. And point. so, you know, I think that the people who have been adapting in the background and coming up with different ways to address addiction, you know, you've got the old only way, which is it's the taxi company. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah, they had plenty of time to make adjustments, but it was working for them. And so what I'm talking about when I say taxi companies, I'm talking about the treatment industry. It's been the same forever. <laughs> You know, 28 days, 30 days, 60 days, it's all based on what insurance will and won't pay. The the insurance companies and the amount of time that you get in treatment has absolutely nothing to do with how long it takes to get well. It's just an an arbitrary timeline. It means nothing. 30 days in treatment does not accomplish anything. It never has other than a pause, right? Pause and access to services. But 30 days does not equate a treatment. When did it start being 30 days? Because I had family members that were in treatment, you know, a while ago, mm-hmm. and it wasn't 30 days. 28 days, no, 14 it much, days. It was much longer. It was much yeah, longer. 90 days. Yeah. I mean, it, the 30-day the model, my understanding was it was based on like military leave. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah. And that, you know, beyond that, it's just become an adopted amount of time that an insurance company would be willing to pay for. And so the treatment programs built their model around what insurance companies would pay for, not what actually helps the person. Yeah. You know, if it was what actually helps the person, it would, you need to be here as long as it takes to address the issue. Like imagine going to the hospital, right. And you know, it would take you three to six weeks to truly address the issue of being in the hospital, getting the surgery, going to physical rehab and doing all the things that are necessary so you can walk back into your house after whatever injury you received. Oh, well, However, they do do that. They do that with, I mean, they don't do it as severely, I don't think, as with addiction, but they do right. do that because I remember having my oldest child and having three days in the hospital and my youngest child and having 24 hours. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. I mean, if you take addiction out of the equation, it's like, imagine going to the hospital and, you know, the thing that they need to address could take you like six weeks. Mm-hmm. And one person goes in and gets it and they stay for six weeks and they walk back into their house like, whoo, glad that's over. And, but another hospital bases their stay or the insurance company says, well, you only really need like three or four. And then they go home and they continue to struggle with it and maybe re-injure themselves or something like that. Like that's what addiction is. That's what the treatment industry is doing. And so when I say the treatment industries are like the taxis, all these other approaches, you know, whether it's PHP, IOP, working with people from home, using MAT, you know, mixing the 12 steps and MAT together. I don't, I don't really care what it is. Um, and I've said this before, I don't care what type of recovery you use, just wash your hands, you know, like just <laughs> doesn't matter, just get well, that 
you know, this, this lockdown here is forcing everybody's hand. I hope so. Well, I mean, even if it's not, it's forcing people to reconsider, you know, yeah, it's forcing the just, consumer to reconsider yeah. what access to services looks like and stuff like that. I mean, it just seems like even from a cost perspective, right? If you step back, there are so many things that are more, um, that the cost benefit would make sense. Like it would, doesn't really make sense to release somebody too soon because they will keep coming back and coming back and the insurance company will have to keep paying. Right. So I just don't get, I I've never been able to quite figure this out because I do think that it's driven by the insurance companies because mm. it's not driven by the treatment industry. If it was driven by the treatment industry, I would understand it because you want people to come back. And I'm not saying that they want people to come back as a business model, as a business model, to, you would yeah. want people to come back, but as, as an insurer, you don't want people to come back. You want right. people to get well in, in the shortest amount, time of time possible but you do want them to get well so they don't have to do this for three years you know or five years or for however long it takes so i'm wondering I, if 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 you know in the in the crudest way possible if they're just not and again i'm not projecting this on any insurance company if you're listening and you work for an insurance company don't get mad but um probably 10 years ago uh i went to senator tolman's heroin and oxycontin commission i don't know if you remember that Mm -hmm. um and i went there and i testified to the the commission at the uh, state house and the insurance companies were all there explaining why they do what they do answering that very question that you just asked mm -hmm. and um the answer was as confusing as the question it just, just there was no really good answer other than it costs less to pay for this than it does to pay for that i'm sure and, it, uh, it did at one point but i wonder if it still does well, this you know is where I mean? it gets this is where it gets crude, is that the mortality rate for individuals struggling with the substance use issue, that it's high. Yeah. Meaning that they tend to die. Right? Which means that yes. the people they have to pay for tend to die off if they don't actually pay for the whole treatment. That's crude. That's messed up. But as a business model, some guy in the back crunching numbers at an insurance right. company. You're just a number. And if the numbers decline, we have to pay less. And so I'm not saying that that's what they do. I'm just saying I have to speculate and oh, I have sure to consider is. like, is yeah. there just a business machine in the background crunching numbers that doesn't take into consideration this illness? And are these numbers just being weighed out? Like when a, um, you know, let's say when there's a recall, right, uh, on a vehicle, you know, the, the, the company, the, the vehicle company has to consider whether it would cost less to do the recall or just pay the lawsuits for the people that die. Right. And whichever one costs less is the one that they'll do. <laughs> and insurance companies probably weigh these things out the same way is that it would, it would cost us less to just keep throwing, you know, three days of detox and an outpatient at them until they either die or get well than it would for us to pay for full lengths of treatment and actually invest in each individual and address their addiction issues. How do we allow this to keep going, though? I just don't understand. Privatized it. insurance companies. It's capitalism yeah. at its best. I mean, how can, you, how can you live in a country where insurance companies are a private industry built on capitalism and then wonder why they're taking advantage of us, the consumers? That's insanity. Um, so we're dependent on them. In my opinion, the only way that you can eliminate that, and it sucks because it costs money, is to pay for your own treatment plan. 
to organize, create, and structure your own treatment plan based on what you think is necessary to address the issue. Otherwise, yeah. it's out of your hands. You're putting it in the hands of people who don't know you, don't care about you, and aren't interested in your long-term results. That's it. And so, you know, if I go to the hospital and the hospital, my insurance company is only going to pay for part of my issue, do I just go home and get mad that they wouldn't pay? No, I may have to come out of pocket, borrow money and find some other way to go to physical therapy and do all the other things necessary so that I don't have a lifelong issue. But that's on me. I'm capable of rational thought. You know, I'm a reasonable individual. And so right now I would do everything possible. Somebody that's you know, struggling with addiction yeah, yeah. would go and just be like, oh, well, they told me that's all I need. And then if they mess up, blame the hospital. That's the right. hospital's fault. I'll leave them a bad review. It's not the hospital's fault. They can't just take it on for themselves because they're dependent on the insurance company right. to pay their bills. Again, outlining a huge industrial machine um, that you're up against when you're making that call. If you're a parent and you're, you're on the internet looking through the Google mm. and you're like, I need drug treatment. And the first 10 things that pop up probably paid to pop up. You know what I mean? And all the ones that say, we take your insurance. Okay. You call the program. You think the program's going to tell you they're not a good program? Probably not. Uh, they're going to say right. we're the best program. Right. And you're going to call your insurance company and you're going to say, well, what do they cover? And they're going to say, oh, well, we cover this 30 days. And in your mind, you're going to be like, wow, 30 days. That's a long time. But it's an arbitrary number. doesn't mean right. anything. And right. you get no guaranteed results after 30 days. And, you know, I think that's, that's a really confusing place for a family to be, especially if they're just jumping into this without having a you or a me or a support group that they can lean on and say, Hey, this is what I found. Right. And then they can get feedback and somebody can be like, don't do that. Um, you know, go here or go there or don't, don't take that path or, or try not to get frustrated at these people because it's not their fault. And, um, yeah, it's really but, frustrating. And, and and so disturbing and because this is all during this whole pandemic this is still this still continues i know and you know it's not like one is any worse or you know any better or one life isn't as important as the other life but i can't help thinking and i know that you know people don't want to hear this that every day that we watch the death toll tick up on on uh, this, on these, you know, and they're large numbers now. Oh yeah. We watch this. I've been waking up for uh, every day for years, not knowing who was going to be alive and who was going to be dead that I knew. Mm -hmm. Arbitrarily, it feels like sometimes, right? Right. And somebody relapse and, and you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they're gone. And 200 a day, you know, that we're losing. So I've it, this is this is something that parents and that people that love other people that that you know that unfortunately are um, still in the throes of addiction have been um, feeling this feeling for a long time mm -hmm. without really anything we can do about it very often. So one of the things that that I notice because I, I go to a lot of family support groups and I, I'm I'm actually supposed to be speaking on some you know support, family support groups this month. And, you know, virtually, which mm -hmm. is how everybody's doing it. But, you know, I know that as a, an addict, when I was out there and I was going to meetings, you know, half of it was the fellowship, you know, it was uh, I had been isolated as an addict, meaning that I sat in my mother's attic or in the basement or I sat in my apartment or wherever it was. And I just kind of did drugs and hid from the world. If I went to work, it was just a means to an end. If I went out of the house, it was because I had to go hustle and do something. 
but my goal was always just to come back and chill out. Right. Mm -hmm. That was just me. It's the type of person I am. And when I started to get well, um, I needed the groups. I needed the people. I needed to feel normal. And, yeah. you know, I think the, I got, I got oh, people, I guess, have gotten really used to going to these places, leaving their house and going to these places, leaving the chaos, right? Uh, leaving my mother's house, leaving my, you know, my, my shitty apartment and going to these meetings and seeing other people and getting a taste of normalcy, uh, rubbing elbows, uh, drinking coffee, uh, meeting a speaker, setting up chairs, uh, making the coffee. Like that's a, right. those are the things that uh, an addict and alcoholic new in recovery is going to meetings to do. And that's what gets them involved, sponsoring someone, sitting down and reading out of a book, having it being read to them. And, you know, there's a, an adaptation that needs to take place for addicts and alcoholics right now, which is to, adapt to this new form of meetings you don't have that same social interaction i mean you got to make your own coffee if you live in chaos you've just got to find a place within that chaos to get on your phone and jump into a meeting i'm imagining that the same could be said for parents and families is that part of the part of the draw of going to those support groups was finally getting a couple hours out of the house out of the chaos, getting a hug from another parent or family right. member. Somebody that gets you. Yeah. Right. Sitting in a room and feeling the, the overwhelming energy of, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, or even 50 people sitting in a room and realizing that your problems are common. Right. You're not alone. And I'm not saying that having your screen filled up with little people isn't similar, but it can't be the same. And so there's, there's an adjustment. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I'm curious to know, and I mean, I can't speak for it because I've never done it and this is all new, but I'm curious to know as, as we go along how people are making that adjustment, if it is the same and if this is the new normal for months, um, you know, is it helping? Yeah, I, I think we can do. I think it's better than nothing. But I just and I think that maybe some maybe this will be a new added bonus to mm. you know maybe there'll be more of these meetings so that you can find a meeting any time of the day or if you don't want to leave the house but i still think that lack of physical that connection that touching somebody else or sitting next to somebody else mm -hmm. it is is it's tough to do without mm -hmm. having somebody come up to you after the meeting put the hand on your back right say it's gonna be okay like that yeah the value that doesn't of a exist. hug yeah i yeah. mean this is like this it, it, this is like the it's not the same. Mm -hmm. Even Sue's is getting all excited. He's like, I know, I saw that. I'm yeah. watching him. <laughs> Jumping around. He's feeling a little isolated. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. I have uh, little Pomeranians too. I'm sure that you'll hear them go off at some point because they like barking at the wind. But um, recently I've been taking him out, putting him on the floor and getting them used to each other. And so now one of the Pomeranians, Tegan, I put him on the floor and she like runs and plays with him and like, smashes her paws on the floor next to him and he's like i mean the first couple of times you should have seen his face but now he just runs around he thinks he's a dog yeah pretty that'll funny. be at the end of this the, the the bearded dragon will think he's a dog yeah it's pretty close pretty close it's all dogs in this house i mean i think that you know this is a good it's a it's a good um opportunity I, I hate to use that word because so many people are being just ravaged by this illness yeah. but like you know this time socially is a good opportunity for us to consider adjustments and 
you know, it's forced me and my hand uh, in, in my business to pursue other avenues to work with families and yeah. to create new programs and web-based uh, distance learning options for students. And I, I'm, you know, the schools are adjusting. Everybody's adjusting in their yeah. own way. Businesses, it's like, you know, Darwinism here, like the, the, the fittest will survive, the, yeah. the most willing to adapt, you will survive because there's still people, there's still need, there's still services, there's still opportunity, but you just have to adjust to make it work. And we have to do that because this is not going to go away overnight. Well, that's, you know, it's not going to be like April 30th and everything's turned back on like the lights, you know, it's, it's not going to work like that. Again, arbitrary numbers, just like the insurance companies, you know, they say May 4th and everyone's like, oh, I can't wait till May 4th. I'm like, for what? What do you think? It's going away? It's not. It's like, that's just, that's the most recent temporary lockdown timeline. I mean, you you need to brace yourself with the fact that this is uh, a, a national issue that across the country, people are still getting sick. We still don't have a way to treat it. And even when we find a way to treat it, it's going to take time to make sure that people have access to services. So uh, I know there's a, there's a lot of fear and concern around this. Uh, our focus is addiction and families. And this just adds a layer of frustration and confusion when trying to deal with that but we still need to sort through this and we still need to weed through this and realize that addiction will transcend all of this. It's been around for years. It will be around after this. It's just making it harder for us to address it. Um, but it, this addiction is still the issue. That's still killing people. That is still killing souls. That is still killing families. And COVID-19 or not, we still need to find a healthy way to address it and make sure that people are not isolating and they're reaching out for services and they're talking to people like you and me, listening to podcasts like this and getting access to services. And so can they go on, um, like if someone's listening right now and they're looking for a meeting, can they go on to the Magnolia uh, Facebook group? Mm -hmm. We've been doing twice a week. We've been doing Thursday and Sunday nights. Okay. And then, um, uh, twice a month on a Wednesday afternoon, I do um, a, cl- a meeting with um, Kristen Young from the Heron Foundation on oh, great. closed pages. So we have that going on inside the closed pages. And the closed pages are great because you can talk and it's just like a meeting. I mean, there's going right. to be other people there, but those people are all in that group because they um, because they um, have going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like being in a giant closed meeting. And um, so that's been good. And I, you know, I've worked with, um, as you do too, I work with people across the country. Mm-hmm. So I was already using zoom probably right. more than half my clients are in places outside of Massachusetts. So I've I worked with families I've never even met before. Right. <laughs> so this is, this is kind of what I do anyhow. It's just now this is all I do. I kind of right. miss sitting down with somebody, but yeah, so they can still go on to Magnolia and, um, go to the family meetings. And then there's, you know, there's, um, Wicked Sober and um, Magnolia, We Do Recover are two the two pages that I have that I run for um, people that are in recovery. Okay. And I'm always putting out, uh, you know, all kinds of activities and God, there's everything now. There's yoga, there's meditation, there's, I, there's no end to the stuff and the meetings. And there's mm-hmm. just every kind of meeting too. There's refuge recovery, there's a-A-N-A, you know, there's everything out there right now, you know, online. And there's no longer an excuse. There really isn't. And, you know, I was just having this conversation with somebody before we got on who's just so depressed. She can't seem to like just start. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I gave it the three things to do. And one of those was just on any meeting, just start, mm-hmm. just watch, don't even have to say anything, just get on there mm-hmm. and you can turn, you can turn your camera off. You can, you can mute yourself and you can just be like a fly in the wall. Right. You don't even have to, you don't even have to do anything, but just listen to other people and know you're not alone. And you can do that with any of those meetings, with right. the family meetings, with the recovery meetings. You don't have to, you don't have to be one of those little people in a box. Mm-mm. So, no. I mean, I, I just, no it's excuses. Better, right. It's almost better. And I think, you know, some of these, uh, this is really a nice entry into going to a meeting, either a family meeting or any kind of meeting, if you were afraid to go before, or you didn't want to go before, you didn't want anybody to see you going, or whatever mm. your reason was, you can do these things anonymously, really anonymously, right. until you're ready to go, because until we're able to go. Mm-hmm. I, I, had a, I had a young guy the other day that contacted me out of jail for like three days, right before everything closed down, mm-hmm. without any ID. Wait, what? No ID. So he doesn't have it. He didn't have a, a like a license. Didn't have oh. any kind of ID. No birth certificate. He ordered his birth certificate. He's waiting for that to come. It's taking longer, right? Oh yeah. He keeps making an appointment with motor vehicle, and it keeps getting canceled, right? right. And um, he doesn't have ID, so he can't even go to like you know one of the grocery stores, which you can get a job at a grocery store. Just had a girl do that the other day, mm-hmm. but um, he couldn't even do that. Wow. It's, I mean, it's like I said, it's tough to have to build during this period of time. You know, you got kids that are trying to build a life and it seems pretty daunting and pretty hopeless. Like if you didn't already have a job before this. Well, I think if you didn't, you didn't have, you just got out of jail and you didn't have any ID before this. But you know what? He's still, he's, he's still pushing. Mm -hmm. He's doing a little bit here and a little bit there. Every time he gets the opportunity, he still keeps trying to get his, his um, ID straightened out. And um, I mean, I think too, at the end of this, aren't we all going to say, holy cow, I got through that, you know? And that just makes me realize that I can, there's a lot I can get through if I got through this. Cause this is- Well, it might put some things into perspective, you know? I mean, I, as Mr. Silver Lining, um, <laughs> I have to say that, you know, again, I'm, I feel terrible about how this is impacting certain families. And mm-hmm. I, saw, I saw a post this morning and um, I really liked it. It said, we're on the same boat, but we're not all weathering the same storm. That's the and truth. outlined right. the various storms. You know, for some people, this is just a break, you know, just a break from the, the rat race and, you know, a little calm down. And yeah, sure, it might be irritating to be around certain family members or to not be able to go out of the house, but it's just mildly inconvenient. And that's one boat, uh, you know, and then you get other people who are going through things already. And this is just another layer of chaos and stress and anxiety and then people who are being directly impacted by this and losing family members and being displaced and you know financially going through extreme financial hardships and so yeah we're all in the same boat not all going through the same storm and so you know this this thing i think is going to put a lot of perspective on you know people humanity like getting us getting us used to uh, uh reconnecting and realizing there's other people out there. And, you know, I have to hope that on the other side of this, there will be um, some shift, some some new result um, as far as access to services, redefining treatment, 
um, you know, maybe shifting their perspective on what an outcome is. An outcome isn't successful completion of time in a program. That's a prison sentence. Right. Um, an outcome is some sort of uh, a personal recovery process that's going to lead you to a better quality life. That's an outcome. Without Good. the arbitrary timelines that insurance right. dictates. And that goes for families too. It right? does. It I definitely know. does. Yeah. Because, yeah, we're all kind of, but I, I, I can only, I can, I keep hoping that will emerge from this a mm -hmm. better, better humanity, better, kinder, gentler people. Right. I hope and more understanding of everything, mm -hmm. of, of anybody's struggle, of anybody's hardships, you know, I hope. So let's, uh, so how about this? Let's come up with uh, top three things that a family should be doing right now if they have an active addict in their life. Top three. Uh, What's the first one that comes to your mind? Gratitude. Have gratitude. Yeah. That they're still alive. Right. And, and they, they have, have the, the opportunity for an, right. Okay. Yeah. So have gratitude. Yeah. Number two. Understanding. Have that understanding. This is, that this is not easy for anybody and that mm -hmm. everybody is kind of struggling in their own way. Wow. Jeez, I like that one. Did you I see know, that? I know. I saw that. He jumped, jumped out to joy. <laughs> And then how about education, right? Everybody's taking this time right now to learn new things. Absolutely. People are taking this time to learn a language, read a book, binge a Netflix show. You've got time. Learn right? about so, learn about addiction if you don't already. That's know. what I'm saying. So I mean, you've there's got so many things. Yeah. And understanding and educate yourself. Go to meetings. Read a book. Read. If you love me, a mother's journey through a daughter's addiction. Read Loving Lions. Read any other book out there. But start with those two, of course. <laughs> of course, um, and you know, go to a support group, a virtual support group. Listen, call someone, join Magnolia New Beginnings, uh, whatever it might be. Yeah, connect. Educate. There's other ways to connect, like you said. I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be the old taxi cab way. So I'm going to list these. If you're watching, I'm going to put them up on the screen. Have gratitude. Gain understanding, and educate yourself. I think if people could do those three things during this time, I, I'm trying to do those things. I am. Same. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, you're probably still in your underwear in bed complaining that you don't want to get out of bed. I have a hoodie on. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there's if you're not up trying to do something with this time, um, you know, I think you're wasting it. I know. I feel, so every time I feel sorry for myself, I look around and I'm like, ah, shut up, Maureen. Yeah, right. It's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. I can't really complain. I, I really no. can't. Uh, luckily, you know, I have, I have a few different jobs. So in addition to my addiction industry business that I'm trying to manage, uh, I, I do podcasts. And so I'm still recording and producing and editing podcasts every day. So plenty of busy, yeah. plenty of stuff to keep me busy. But again, for those that are listening, uh, you know, you're probably weathering a storm that nobody else understands or it feels like nobody else understands. But, you know, we understand that it's, it's difficult, but that since there's only so much that you can do right now, having gratitude that your loved one is still alive, great place to start. Having some understanding of what it's going to take for them to get well and what they're going through right now is, is two. And then the last is educate. Read a book, learn something, take a class, go to a support group. Uh, watch a movie on addiction, something, gain a better understanding through education of what it's going to take when the time comes for you to take action. 
Yeah, because I think we can be sympathetic to somebody else's, you know, plight. And but until we really have that we educate ourselves and we really understand what somebody's going through, it's hard to have empathy. Of course. You know, so and I think that that's key, really, is in into like just help you know just understanding what someone's going through is well didn't we just have a guest on and his uh hashtag was walk a mile yes right you You know and i like that because that's what it is i mean we we talk all the time about like yeah you can understand the concept of addiction but all you're looking at is me using drugs you don't understand my why you don't know how i feel about me you don't know how painful being sober is stop telling me to be sober you know yeah. what I mean? You're telling me to do the one thing I can't do. And then you're telling me if I don't do it, you're going to punish me. You know, yeah. I think just acknowledging that you don't understand what somebody else is going through. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and especially with this, this is uncharted territory for everybody. But everybody goes through this differently. Mm-hmm. You don't, no one knows what someone else feels. Right. You know, so. Well, this has been fun. You know, in the sense that we got to finally connect <laughs> and, and, and you're, actually you're, talk. You're, Talk to another human being. Even Your barometer for fun is really getting low, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This has been fun. Well, no, I mean, I love podcasting and I love talking to you. And I'm sitting in my house, you know, watching recorded video all day long. So it's nice yeah. to actually interact with a human being. And, um, but hopefully our listeners got something out of this. Uh, we have a bunch of good episodes coming up. Um, I'm going to put this one out first. So yeah, I'm referencing right future episodes when I said hashtag walk a mile. You'll hear that soon. Yeah. Um, but stay tuned for future episodes. We got a couple of good guests coming up. Um, if people you should feel free to reach out to me and, and you, I'm sure yes. if they're struggling and they want some direction or they want to know about meetings or they want mm-hmm. any, you know, for anything, because I'm more than happy. I have plenty of time on my hands. <laughs> well, why don't you tell them, uh, why don't you tell everybody how to get in touch with you? I, you can get me on, um, MaureenCavanaugh.net. All my information is on there. So, Bam. um, yeah. I nice mean, and my, easy, right? <laughs> my, my phone number. Yes. This phone right here that's by me all the time is on there. So yep. I'm more than happy to help anybody that needs needs help or direction right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, oh, of, I, all of my contact information can be found at baystaterecovery.com. Or you could literally just Google Mike Wilson Bay State and everything, right. you need to, everything you need to know will pop up. Yeah, there's no uh, hiding between no, the two of no, us. No. <laughs> And if you can't find me, if you can't find him, I'll find him for you. <laughs> right. If you, if you find one of us um, or it'll be in the show notes, all of our stuff. If, you, if you're on Facebook, uh, follow Collateral Damage. You'll get updates on new episodes. If you want to watch these, you can go on to YouTube, uh, type in Collateral Damage. How many episodes are out now? I don't know. 30 something? Yeah, 34, I think so. 35? I think I saw 34. I saw. Yep. And wow. um, How did so that if you happen? want to watch them, go to YouTube, type in collateral damage, hit subscribe, hit notifications. It will tell you when we put up a new episode. If you have something to say about it, leave a comment. Um, give us a review on iTunes. If you're feeling, you know, like, uh, like you want to, we would love it. Um, but only if you like us, because I'm feeling yeah. particularly delicate right now with all that's going on. Yeah, I mean, five-star <laughs> reviews only, if you don't mind. Uh, four or five. Keep the ones to yourself. Send us a private email. We'll fix whatever yes. it is. Um, and then, uh, as always, um, you can find Maureen's book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, I assume that there's some sort of an ebook that they can download as well. Yeah, there's Kindle, uh, Kindle and Audible and everything. Yep. Yeah, I'm everywhere. And then uh, Loving Lions is also available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kindle ebook. I don't, I didn't do my 
audio one yet. I didn't like my voice, so I just didn't do oh, it. Oh, you don't want to listen to my whining voice for five and a half hours? <laughs> I, listen, the, the biggest mistake was that I recorded it, and then the guy sent it to me for review, and I was like, nope. Oh, you should have just <laughs> if, put it out. It, well, yeah. if he was, he was only half of the, the thing. So he just yeah. did the recording and he's like, I want you to do the rest. And I was like, okay, cool. Because that's what I do that stuff. Yeah. But doing it for your own voice. I was like, I just oh, forget yeah. it. I can see it. I'm looking at the file on my computer right now and I don't want to open it. So Ooh, I won't. No, fortunately. So buy the book. I, yeah. No, this <laughs> is a great book. It's a great book. It's, yeah. it, I get most of my material from stealing your stuff. So. It's funny. I get families that come in and they, you know, they bring in the book and it's got like little sticky notes. Isn't and that great? There's like highlighter and stuff like, well, on this page, you said that. I'm like, I did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. <laughs> I, you know what? The best compliment I got was a girl that read it in, in jail and she oh, wow. decided she, when she come when she came out, she had no idea. Well, she must've had some idea, but she didn't know what she had done to her family. And she mm. reconnected with her mother and she, she got, she went, she got help and she's still sober. And well, that's your, probably your book is a great insight into, you know, what parents are doing in the background when the kids yeah. are off. I mean, I, I like how you didn't really, you know, in your book, I, you didn't really talk about her addiction. I mean, you talked about your experience with her addiction, but like you didn't speculate or allude to anything. It was just what you were going through while she was off. Like there's another whole book that you won't read. Right. um that that you didn't write about and couldn't write about right. and I, I did the same yeah. in the beginning of mine which is just my side i, I talked right. about what i thought my parents were going through but they have to write their own book right um and so you know i think there's and two I, sides. I, I wrote that book in the middle of it too so it was and you can like i think feel that when i didn't have the luxury it. of doing that no, well, um, yeah, <laughs> might have been a whole different book. Yeah. <laughs> who, writes their, who writes their recovery book while they're actively yeah, using it? Yeah, that wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah. But I do have a book of poetry, addiction poetry, that I wrote while I was active and while I was trying to get into you, early recovery. You need to publish that. And I have it. It's all done. I just don't know what to do with it. I can't get past the, uh, like, writing a book is one form of art, but putting poetry out is different. It feels different. It's harder. I don't know why. You think so? Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I thought that I thought even the book was hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you're opening imagine, your you're opening like your here. soul comes look out. At, in poetry. Yeah, look at everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, a book is is just facts. These things happened, and this yeah. is my experience. But poetry, I think, is a little bit more intimate. I don't yeah. know. Something, yeah, I can see that. There's something else, more expressive art, and um, so I'm I'm just battling through that, but it'll come out eventually. I hope so. All right. Well, then right, uh, with that, we'll let our listeners go and play off and trail into some amazing podcast exit music and uh, have them uh, jump on for a future episode. There we go. 